This is an Equity Beats Media podcast. You're listening to Get Started Investing, a production of Equity Mates Media. This series is everything you need to get started on your investing journey. You don't need a lot of brains in this business. Investing in yourself is the best thing you can do. Anything that improves your own time. Now you can get rich very young just by having an idea. I mean, I can buy anything I want, basically, but I can't buy time. Welcome to Get Started Investing. In this podcast, we cover all the basics that you need to start your investing journey. Are you joining us for the very first time? Is this the very start of your investing journey? Well, before you dive into this episode with us, our feed is designed to go from the very beginning. So we strongly recommend that you scroll up and start at episode one. Here at Get Started Investing, we cover and unpack all the jargon and the confusing bits. We hear your investing stories with the goal of making investing less intimidating. And of course, we want to have a good time along the way. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going? I'm very good, Bryce. I'm very excited for this episode. There is so much going on in the stock market at the moment. There's so much going on in every market at the moment, and it can be really difficult to understand how to make heads or tails of it, and more importantly, how to position your portfolio and manage your money in in a moment like this. So luckily, we uh, can turn to the experts at a time like this, and we've got an expert joining us today to help talk us through what's going on what's going on and how to manage risk it's our absolute pleasure to welcome evan lucas to the studio evan welcome thanks guys that was a massive intro thanks thank i know that's very, very very nice it's, it's, a, it's a very uh, pleasant intro it's a we, like, warm up. we like to set the bar high evan and now you've got to jump yeah, no over joke. it <laughs> well our, our talking's all done it's all you from here <laughs> oh yeah so, oh, buckle up <laughs> um, evan is the chief market strategist at invest smart after completing a f- master's in finance evan has worked in amsterdam at abn amro and the royal bank of scotland before returning to australia working at morgan's and ig before joining InvestSmart. So plenty of experience. And as we said, we're going to be covering uh, how to manage risk and think about your portfolio in what can be a pretty daunting time at the moment. But before we do, true or false game, Ren, let's kick it off. That's it, Evan. We want to get to know you a little bit more. So uh, we like to play this game to hear a bit about your investing journey. And let's start with your very first investment. Before I answer that, (laughs) when these questions come through, just remember, I was 20 years old by answering these questions. So I was very, very green when this happened. Okay, that's, that's great. That, that that's we love why to we hear ask it. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Warts and all. Everyone starts somewhere. I think that's, that's correct. So that's the massive part of this whole discussion. Yeah, yeah everyone yeah. has to start. Yeah. Doesn't matter when or how old or how young you are, you've got to start. And starting somewhere is the, the main aim of the whole discussion, I reckon. Well, I reckon uh, you've tipped your hand at the answer to this question, but mm-hmm. I'm going to ask it anyway. True or false? Your very first investment was your most successful. No. I mean, is that almost a joke question? I mean, who gets their first investment ever right? It wasn't bad. Like what I did at the time is that I literally was just going, okay, what do I think is probably safer is probably the answer to that. And and so on the day, I don't know which one got bought first because I bought on market and I literally bought BHP and ANZ at the same time. So it wasn't a bad investment. It just wasn't my best. Um, and I, I must have you shouldn't have expected it to be your best yeah. on, on those two. Like that is blue chip as you get. Admittedly, I didn't buy CBA. Um, <laughs> but in saying that, it, it, it was pretty blue chip. And the idea that, you know, all I'd been reading at the time, as I said, I was 20 years old, was make sure, inverted commas, and the Australian market still thinks like this, 
get your barbell. And for those of you who don't know what the barbell is in Australia, the Australian market is resources on one side, banks on the other, and then the bar is everything else in between. <laughs> so I was thinking, okay, I'll start with the the bars, I'm sorry, with the bells, and was buying the biggest bell I could, BHP, and was a bank that was up and coming at the time. ANZ was sort of really pumping the idea. It was getting to Asia and was getting to the growth story and was paying you a handsome dividend and blah, blah, blah. So that's why I did it. Nice. nice. Well, I think as a 20-year-old, investing in BHP and ANZ is a very sensible choice of everything you could have invested Correct. in. Correct. Yeah. But in answer, true facts to your answer to your question, no, it was not my best result, nice. clearly. <laughs> true or false, you had a strategy in place before you got started. The strategy was to try and replicate the barbell strategy that I've been reading heaps about, which was building up positions quite chunkily in resources and, and banking and then slow but surely adding stuff to it. And the idea at the time was over time I'd probably buy Woolies or Wessies. I'd buy a Telstra. Um, so getting back to your first question, the best result I've ever had, I did in part of the bar, I did buy CSL. So I do put nice. my hand up. And the reason I say that is that I, when I, I, my first degree was in, it was in health science. So I knew about the health. I knew about all that kind of stuff. And CSL to me when I read it and did all the due diligence on it, I was like, oh, my God, this is one of the most exciting things I've ever read in my life. Um, and I jumped into CSL in 2011. Wow. And I'll put my hand up also saying I'm out, okay? So I, I no longer have a vested interest. I, I got out. But that was my strategy was to go down the barbell strategy, which is a really stereotypical bar strategy for most Australian people that started investing in the tens. Yeah. Let's be honest. Yeah. So uh, next question, true or false, investing is as hard as you thought it would be? Yes and no. When I started, yes. Now, not so much. Okay. And the reason I say that, the the beauty over the, particularly the last decade has been the ease and the reduction in cost of investing. So back in the day, it was ridiculous. And we're not talking long ago. Like a decade ago is not that long ago. It was ridiculous. Like you, you would have to, you know, your concepts of this world were only just starting to really take off. They'd been about, but it wasn't really there. Your nab trade wasn't really existent. You know, Westpac wasn't even on the plan. And then you look at all the new players that are out there in terms of that really, really cheap space. They didn't exist. So you had a broker and therefore you had to call them. You, and I can't, I look, I know I'm showing my age here, but I'm not that old. I'm 37. <laughs> and it was weird to have to do that. Like trying to do it online was really expensive. And particularly when I started to get right into it, which started seeing me invest overseas, you then had double brokerage. You had brokerage in Australia who would then tell people in the States or in Europe or in the UK to go and do that. They charge you a brokerage fee and an FX clip, and then you'd have to do the same on the way out. So you'd then have that broker charge you in the States, your Australian broker charge you, and you'd get it back. So it was really hard. Now, oh, the beauty of it, it is so much simpler, so much cleaner, um, and it means, therefore, the ability to become an investor has started to reach everyone, and that is one of the most important things, that I think, in my world that has happened because in what I, I love behavior. I love talking about behavioral finance and the freedom that comes with financial freedom, the time that you can get from your money by because in, in my view anyway, 
all money is, is is a thing to gain time. It's just about giving you more time. So if your money is spread out, it's growing for you, working for you, your financial freedom just gets much, much bigger. So all of that is my ask that question is that thankfully investing now has got easier in saying that still do your own due diligence, still do your own work. And I understand particularly if you're starting, it, it will it will be an interesting period. But that comes with education and education is the most important thing. If there's anything we take away from this next 20, 30 minutes, education and your education will be the best thing you can get for your financial freedom. Uh, So to close out, Evan, true or false, uh, investing is like gambling. False, 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 false. So my way of answering that, as soon as you're looking at chance in an investment, inverted commas, that is an investment, that's a bet. Mm. investing is where you actually understand that it is backed by something. If you are investing in an ETF of the ASX 200 or BHP or CSL or ANZ or CBA, that you are actually putting your money into a company's balance sheet. That's the way you've got to remember it. You're actually being backed by the company or the index with them earning. And if my base principle is that Although some companies are not great, most companies are there to try and get better. That's their whole mantra. That's why they are a company. That's what they do. So they're trying to actually become bigger, better, stronger, what have you. And therefore, you're just being part of that story. You know, a company is asking you for their money to grow their business, whether that's to then go out and invest in a new mining company, whether that's to then lend to you and I, whatever the business underlying is, the reason they're coming to you and asking, would you like to invest into our our company is because we want you to be part of the story. Mm. So in answer to that question, if you're seeing investing as gambling, then you need to ask yourself why. Why is that your first thought? Uh, because that, in my view, and this is something that I, I love talking about, that is actually what you refer to as a psychological bias. That means that you're coming from a negative point of view. Most likely that your first initial thought when you think about using money is what we call loss aversion. And by loss aversion, it is one of the strongest human biases we have. We hate losing money. We are more attuned to losing $10 than we are to making 20 and being net 10 bucks up. We will concentrate on that $10 loss harder than anything else we do because it's so natural because we are still human beings. We like to basically you know, control what we can control and loss is something we can't control. So that normally when I hear that question, I know full well that that client or that person or that new investor, it's, it's just about holding your hand and saying, understand why you think that way, but please be aware that investing and gambling are completely separate things. Mm. And as soon as you're taking chance, that's a bet, that's a gamble. As soon as you're investing, you're looking to be involved with the growth of an economy, a company, or whatever it might be. Mm, Love that. Well, Evan, we might uh, clip that answer and spread it across social media because I think (laughs) that that really does encapsulate what we try to get across, but in a much more succinct and uh, well thought out way. But look, uh, Evan, we uh, want to move on to a little bit about your investing philosophy a little bit about invest smart and you know you mentioned you had a barbell strategy in place when you started and yep. since starting you've worked on uh, you know at multiple uh, companies in financial services across multiple countries uh, so I guess what have you learned from that experience and has that changed your investing strategy or your preferred investing style yeah lovely question Ren so yes and none of that I'll also point this out although I started investing when I was 20 I didn't enter 
financial services and financial markets as I do now as my vocation till I was sort of 27 because it just didn't sit in my thinking. And I think, again, that question when you're asking comes from the point of view of who are you as, as a person? Who are you as an investor? Because that also falls into the answer here and why what I'm going to say to you is how I've changed. So when I first started, I was green. I did okay. But my own personality and my own identity got in the way because all I saw myself as when I was younger was somebody that traveled. So that's all I did. So my investments were to fund that. So as I've got older, not only that, I know I've now have children, I have a wife, I have other things. My personality, my money identity has changed. And that has come also from working. So when I was in Amsterdam, it was all of a sudden, that was the first time I had a absolute insight into markets and what made me fascinated by them. I got to be an analyst on the trading desk that was sitting behind because in Amsterdam, the actual Amsterdam Stock Exchange is inside the building of Avian Amro. And so therefore, I got to sit and watch it. It was just a fascinating thing to see. And being part of that and learning about that and and learning off some of these really big hitters that were from all over the world sitting on that exchange. And that was fantastic. That gave me my bottom-up thing. And so from there, it was then about, okay, what have I learned from that experience? I understand bottom-up research, blah, blah, blah. I came back to Australia uh, and sort of kept it going. But then I realized that it wasn't the only thing. And this is this is me. So for you guys that are starting out there, for you guys listening in that are starting your, your journey, the thing I learned straight away was education is absolutely core to this. And I'll keep coming back to this point mm. in that what I also need to learn about is why do markets behave in independent ways to what you would think? And so that therefore led me to actually start going through economics. And economics for me, so what we call macro, so the big picture versus micro, the bottom-up picture, was my next change in my strategy, was to understand what is going on in the macro world, why are interest rates at that time falling, you know, we were at 4.5%, 4.75% here in Australia. <laughs> Think about that. <laughs> and it was falling away, what that meant, how that would therefore impact value and growth stocks, how that would impact. Again, that's really high level. And I understand what I've now learned also, all of that is complex. What I've now learned and where Investmart fits into it is that the more and more I went along, the more and more I realized simplicity is key. The simpler you are, the easier things will become. You don't have to think about a barbell strategy. You don't have to think about which choices you have to make. You don't have to think about why this company works X. Because in the end, I looked at it from the point of view, if you look at the ASX, the ASX over the last 10 years, even including what's going on right now, is still averaging 9.7% on a total returns basis. And by total returns, that includes your dividends, reinvesting, et cetera, et cetera. And therefore, I found myself going, am I fighting an uphill battle? Am I working too hard? for what I'm doing and probably was. So I actually went, okay, well, why don't I just do that? Why don't I make it simple and just make the barbell the ASX 200? And that's what I did. So I started investing in ETFs and that's where Investmark came into it. They saw me doing this. We talked about it. And that's that's our mantra is simple, easy, cheap, efficient portfolios that diversify you across not just the ASX but international equities then also the other thing that never was discussed in my world, which was other asset classes, fixed income, property, cash. And now I've got that core and that core is absolutely key. I just add to that core. I can still play around on the edges, but the simplicity over the last seven years since I started doing that has made my life not only much easier, but the financial freedom that's come with it has grown. Big, long-winded answer. Sorry, Jen. <laughs> no, 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 no. That was good. That was good. <laughs> 
So let, let's turn to market conditions today because, you know, this is a podcast for, for beginners and a lot of our community are probably, you know, just at the very early stages of their investing journey and experiencing some parts of the markets that we haven't experienced for a while. And, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it is all about risk management and understanding, as you've mentioned, the type of investor that you are and, and uh, how to build a profile accordingly. Risk management, though, is a piece of investing jargon that we often Good hear. Point. <laughs> we often hear. <laughs> so, how would you explain risk management to a non-investor? Yeah, you bang on, Bryce, and it is. It's just such a no. That's such a dry term. It's so boring. Like, what is risk management? How do you explain risk management? So, just going back to those of you that are starting today, I'll also put my hand up here. When I first started investing properly, so I know I did it when I was twenty, but when I was actually doing this for a living was around about August 2007. And if you remember what happened in November 2007, (laughs) and then from there was the GFC. So my cutting of my teeth was that sort of experience that we've started in 2021 to where we are now, Bryce, in terms of your question. And that was a fast learning of risk mitigation and talking about risk mitigation. And that is the simple way of looking at it is the old adage is perfect. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Right. So, and by one basket, the ASX 200 technically is one basket. That is one asset, right? The US equity market, that is one asset class. Again, UK, France, Germany, take your pick. International equities are another basket. So are bonds, but not again, domestic, international. So is cash, right? And by cash, sometimes we lose what cash really is. In an asset world, cash is anything that is able to be used today all the way through to 12 months. And it doesn't have a capital gain or loss component. It only has an interest component. So a term deposit, you put money in a bank, let's say 10 grand, that 10 grand will come back to you plus a small amount of interest. But the 10 grand won't get bigger, it won't get smaller. But because that is basically what we call adverted commas risk-free, and I'm getting to your point, Bryce, I promise. Um, <laughs> no, no, it's in good. <laughs> It talks about risk-reward. So cash sits at the very bottom of risk-reward. Very, very, very low risk. In fact, 2007, 2008, Kevin Rudd, then Prime Minister, guaranteed all deposits inside banks. Mm. And that is still here today for up to a quarter of a million dollars. At one point when he first introduced it, it was a million. But it's been reduced to a half to, to a quarter of a million dollars. So it's very, very safe. But because of that, it's also an incredibly low return. So this is what we call risk reward. If you then move up, you then have things like fixed income. Fixed income is similar, but it has a capital component. Your your capital can go up and can go down, but it gives you a yield as well, like your cash, but the return is probably slightly bigger. So it's further up the risk reward curve. Equities, international equities move out that risk curve. So what the diversification principle is, and getting to your, your idea around risk diversification, Bryce, is about having exposure to each one in a certain measure. So if you're a conservative person and you are worried about what we discussed before about loss aversion, you are more likely to have the overall total amount of your investment in cash and in fixed income because it's less likely to lose a significant amount of money, and let's use that term because it could fixed increase could lose you a little bit of money, then having all of your money or a more amount of your money exposure to property, domestic equities, and international equities. 
And so that's where you move. So if you're more assertive and you believe that actually, no, I'm looking to invest for the long term, I'm looking for growth, I am looking for longer term financial freedom, I'm willing to take a bit more risk, you're more likely to therefore go, okay, the majority of my investment pool is going to be in growth. So that means more equities, more international equities, less fixed income, less cash. So it's again, it's about understanding you. What are you tolerant of? What do you happy with? But again, it's making sure that you've got all of those asset classes, whether you're highly assertive or highly conservative, you still need some of all because it still needs to give you some growth. So you need to get some capital growth from equity markets moving up, not just what they're doing down now, which is down, but also getting the yield you get from fixed income more than the cash you get. But it's also the other way around. If we are going through a downturn like we are now and you're highly assertive, that's fine but you do need some buffer. You need to have some of your money protected from the downside as well. And that still means cash and still means having fixed income. Again, long-winded, sorry. No, no. that's all good. Uh, well, Evan, you mentioned a number of different asset classes there, um, all up and down the risk curve. And the great news is for investors today, they're more accessible than ever with exchange-traded products. But mm-hmm. therein also lies another challenge, analysis paralysis. There is so much choice out there. So, <laughs> so we'd love to get your thoughts on that. But before then, uh, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. So Evan, before the break, uh, we mentioned the amount of choice that's available today. So many asset classes, all available at the click of a button in exchange-traded products. I think at last count, there's close to 300 exchange-traded funds on the ASX, and I think between two or 3,000 listed in the US. So, so much choice. And only expanding further. How is an investor meant to go about knowing what's out there, filtering down that list and determining what's appropriate for their own investing goals? Okay, so I'm going to take that from an investment point of view because, again, why I do that is, and again, we will argue that we are not necessarily the, the right answer, but this is what we're talking about. We've already talked about simplicity. So let's look at the four things that we look at. Simplicity, how close um, to the market is it replicating? So is it making sure that, that ETF is giving you the ASX 200? Let's use that as the example. The next point is liquidity. And by liquidity, what I mean is is that you you still need to have the ability during 10 and 4 Sydney time to be able to buy and sell that without having any issues about trying to get your money in or your money out at a a random price. Most of the ASX-listed ones don't have either of those problems. The next one is cost. So in exchange-traded funds, it's called the the management exchange ratio, so the MER. That Sorry, expense ratio. That is where you look. Right, So the cheaper it is, the better it is for you. And the bigger the player tends to be, the better option. So if you look at a BlackRock, a Vanguard, you look at a beer shares, these guys tend to be offering you. So let's look at BlackRock's ASX ETF. They're charging you per annum, so per year, 0.4 of 1%. So what we call four basis points. So it is incredibly, incredibly cheap in terms of where it sits. Where InvestMart then takes the next thing is that we try and offer you the ability to do this all for you because, Ren, your question is about simplicity, about how do you choose that. Well, what we say is that, well, we can help you do that by actually taking the choice on for you and finding all these things down. So the next thing that we also do is to also say, okay, we talked about risk before in our last question. Let's say you're a balanced investor. We know that you need a certain amount of everything. And we base that off, there is talking about numbers and about amount of choice. So in a balanced fund, 
What ASIC and what Vanguard classify as a balanced fund, there are 3,353 balanced funds in Australia alone. And that's just retail. That's mm. not including super annuation, you know, industry. 3,353 of them. How do you choose which one's the right? Mm. So what we do is that we go, okay, let's collate all that data, find the consensus, and then give you the risk of a balanced portfolio at the percentages that the consensus gives us. So the last point is price. So if I was to compare what's going on inside IOZ, the price of IOZ is about $30. It's actually probably about $27 now because of what's been happening in the market. And that gives us the ability to give you a much closer representation of what a balanced portfolio needs of the ASX, which is around about 15% of the ASX, whereas some of them have quite a higher price. So BetaShares, for example, they have $102 on their ASX. So you can't buy as many for 102 and get close enough to that percentage. And that's just us doing our sifting. doesn't mean that BetaShares is wrong. It's just, it's not, it just doesn't fit our model because we need to get you to a risk profile of balance much, much closer than what $100 per unit gets us because $27 per unit gets us much closer than $100 per unit. So that's just our four points. Again, it's about trying to make it simple, low cost, replicating the market, reputable brand with lots of liquidity and a price point that's easy to deal with. Invest smart, and we haven't necessarily touched on all that you offer. It's um, it is a fantastic business, and uh, we recommend that our audience go and have a look because there's there's plenty of things that you do do. But one of which is building a number of ETF portfolios, model ETF portfolios. I, sh- I should say, mm-hmm. we want to understand a little bit about how you design these portfolios of ETFs. So can you sort of shed some light for us, Evan? Yeah, so it's back to my previous answer. So the way we design them, again, in fact, it's all the answers we've just been talking. We understand that people are different. Everyone's different and that's that's good. So that's where your risk comes into it. Are you a conservative investor? Are you a balanced investor? Are you a risk investor? So therefore growth. And are you a really assertive investor? So that's high growth. And again, what we do to make it as simple and as easy as possible is that we get that data out of Morningstar, we get the data out of Vanguard and out of ASIC. And again, look at what a growth, what is classified as a growth portfolio in those three metrics, get the consensus data, and then for work out the percentages that are allocated to international equities, to domestic equities, to fixed income internationally, fixed income domestically, cash property. And that gives you 100%, but they're broken down into things. So let's look at growth. Growth is 66%, what we call growth, and the rest is obviously defensive, but that means it's actually about 29% Australian equities and about the rest in in international equities. Properties, about 7%, and then the rest is defensive assets, fixed income and cash. But that's just one example. And how we choose those, those ETFs that go into it, because there's about five to seven of them in each of those portfolios, is as we described before, which is very, very low cost. So the cheapest we can find, high liquidity is priced to a level to give us the ability to give those portfolios neat and tidily. And, and again, the, the next part of that is making sure that the overall liquidity is, is very, very strong. Yeah. I think the um, the great thing about InvestSmart and a lot of the ETF providers as well is how um, 
transparent they are uh, like the website has so much information and and we don't hide you're right we don't hide behind it all of the data about what i've just described the percentage allocation to each of those portfolios is on our website yeah, so you yeah. can you can go and see it it's we, we we don't want to hide it we want you to know exactly what that is because you deserve to know you need to understand what's going on yeah and you know, we had a look at your growth portfolio and it's 20% fixed interest, 14% cash. And you sort of explained there that it's uh, two thirds uh, growth, a third defensive. And, and that explanation makes sense. But I think the important thing is that people can make their own judgment. Whereas yeah. so many of the funds traditionally, they just had a label and the label was balanced or growth and you couldn't actually see what was in there. And I think the big recommendation, the one thing that we've learned from doing this podcast for a number of years is look under the hood and it's great that you guys open up that hood. and Yeah, yeah. And, and very much even with us, look at it, understand what each ETF is. Like you can then click on them and see which ones we've invested. We, we do not want to hide any of that. We think it should be absolutely front and centre. When you do our portfolios, they are held in your name. It is held on, on a chess scenario. It is under your name. So it's, again, it's about making sure that all of it is transparent and you are the owner the absolute end owner of those ETFs anyway, we then manage it for you. So as the dividends come in, we reinvest if that's what you want to do. We allow you to top up if you want to with, you know, an actual contribution plan. So you allow the eighth wonder of the world, according to Einstein, <laughs> compound interest take 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 effect. So all, all those things are there. We certainly don't want to be pushing that from any perspective because our whole principle is education, easy access with the best and simplest way you can do it to make sure that you are growing your wealth and that in the end is around about financial freedom which i think is the most important thing you can ever gain so evan as i mentioned uh plenty of of products that invest smart offer for all different sort of levels of investors and esg has been an incredibly hot topic Mm. for us uh not only the get started investing community but the equity mates community as a whole and one of the products that you guys have is the ethical growth portfolio Mm-hmm. One of the challenges, though, is with so many products in this space, um, navigating it can be difficult. So how should we be navigating the sea of ethical options? Yeah. So also, let's talk about something else just there as well, which is what ASIC in the last couple of weeks has brought out with this topic about greenwashing. Mm. And the reason I want to start there is because at the moment, the label ESG is getting confused with environmental investment. And why I say that Getting back to how our portfolios work, ESG is environmental, social, and governance. That's what it stands for. And so if you look for our e, for our exchange-traded uh, portfolio, the ethical investments inside of it are actually stamped and overlooked by the Responsible Investment Association of Australasia, so RIAA. Look them up. They are the biggest provider in this part of the world around making sure that the investments are done and ticked off on that approval. But why I highlight that is this. ESG is not environmental because ESG, like a diversified portfolio, is taking about a third of each of those points. So a third of it makes up environmental, a third of it makes up social, a third of it makes up governance. So let's highlight one that you would probably say greenwashing-wise is an interesting one because by greenwashing, we've heard about what's going on with Santos, we've heard about what's now going on with, with CBA about inverted commas greenwashing and what they are saying. So Fortescue Metals, for example, from RIAA, so this is from the Responsible Investment Association, passes. ESG mandates. It passes it. And the reason for it 
it knows it's got an environmental problem, but it works as hard as it can to repossess the land, repurpose it, and give it back as, as straight as they can. Where they absolutely kill it is in social and governance. And I mean, they are monstering it. So social, they are one of the largest providers of employment for the Indigenous community over in Western Australia. They are also one of the largest providers of health and education to the Indigenous community over in Western Australia. So their social component is massive. Their governance is also very good. They have one of the highest level of female participation at the board level. They have a female CEO and they are very much you know, on the idea of governance promotion. So again, if you think two-thirds of their portfolio of the ESG rating is dominated by social and governance, offsetting the the, the, the environmental impact that, let's be honest, in you know, Fortescue is, that's why they pass. So greenwashing, I think, has been lost in the idea that a lot of people go into ESG hearing that term as it's just environmental. It is not. And understand that. And that is why a Fortescue passes an ESG mandate. So if you're looking to that idea about you want to invest in ethical investing, understand that's what ethical investing is. If you want to invest in environmental investing, that also exists. Mm. And therefore, there's a huge weighting to the environmental component overriding the S and the G. So Evan, um, another product that uh, InvestSmart has recently released uh, is a lending product called Fund Later. Mm-hmm. Let's start broadly. Uh, who is this product aimed at and what is it? So the way we look at it is that we know there are a lot of people out there that want to start but don't necessarily have the initial balance to do it as well as they can. And what I, what I mean by that is that let's also point it out that when you invest, you probably need scale. And by scale, we mean that to start you need roughly 10 grand because, again, when you look at this from the point of view that if the market like it is now is moving lower, if you've got a smaller balance, that decline is much more acute to you, much, much more acute. So all of a sudden, if you were to lose 10% on $1,000, whereas losing 10% on $10,000, the actual overall change, although it's the same percentage-wise, the difference isn't seen as bad. Um, And it has the ability to also work on the upside. So $10,000 is probably a good start point. However, we understand there's a lot of people out there that don't have that starting balance but want to get into it. Know that they have the starting balance, 10 grand or more, over you know a year or so if they keep investing. So Investmark came out with the idea of fun later is that we will give up you $6,000 of that 10 grand if you've got $4,000 to start with. So your initial investment is four grand. We will put up a non-recourse, and by non-recourse, it means that therefore it's six grand of ours. We can't pull that off you in terms of where that sits. And instead of having an interest rate, which I know some people compare it to, there's a monthly fee. And how that works is this. To get you to start paying back that six grand to actually make that whole 10 grand yours, you're paying $300 a month for 20 months. You can pay that faster. If you want to pay it 500, you want to pay it 1,000, you can do that. And there is a little fee attached on top of that of 25 bucks. So per month, if you're doing what the minimum is, it's $325 per month over 20 months. It's more of a fee than an interest rate, but I know people want to compare it that way. The whole idea is to basically get you starting. It also does another thing. It provides a habit. If you can get constantly contributing to your portfolio per month, compound interest comes into it because the hope that we have for you is that once you go past your 20 months, you keep going. 
you keep adding to your portfolio. You keep growing that, that underlying base and getting the advantage of growing markets compound interest and return. Now, Evan, uh, Bryce and I for a long time have spoken about how investment lending needs to be disrupted. We think, you know, the everyone knows the margin lending product that is the traditional yeah. product is not great. When the market falls is the time, the opportunity to buy, but that's when a bank will pull the rug out from under you. Correct. So we don't have margin calls. The other thing I would say to you is this, is that in, a, in the current environment where we know, we've just seen the Federal Reserve last night raise rates by 0.75 of 1%. We've already been told by our central bank governor that he's going to raise rates in July. That fee is not interest rate dependent. Yeah. So it's not going to change. It is 25 bucks per month for 20 months no change, yeah. nothing about that. So that's why we try and say it's not an interest rate and it's not a, it's definitely not a variable interest rate. We also won't margin call you. We will not come in and what we call sweep in the market where all of a sudden we go, we need to take you out, bang. You won't have any recourse to our stop you know, doing that. We do not, none of that happens with this product. We That we think, and this is the term that you, know, you need to look at with margin lending is that it provides an interesting service but you need to be fully aware of how margin lending works. And therefore, we were like, we want nothing to do with margin lending. Yeah. We want to offer you the ability to start with a reasonable size deposit of 10 grand to start allowing diversification, compound interest, dividend reinvestment to take effect. And then you come up to that 10 grand by paying in 300 bucks to pay off the six and that $25 fee. Mm. We understand it's not for everybody. And again, as you know, Ren and Bryce have said through this podcast, and I'll say it too. Please look under the hood. Please read into it. It may not, it's not for everyone. We understand that, but we know there are people that are really looking to the future, looking to seven to 10 years ahead, know they need to start. And this is what we think it is. Yeah. So I think, yeah, as I was saying, compared to a margin lending product, you know, what you guys are doing, there's not many others out there. So it's great to see you guys innovating and, and making new products. The $25 over $300, people can do the maths on that. Um, but as you said, people can pay more back quicker and that, that doesn't change. So that will lower yeah. the, you know, if you wanted to calculate an interest rate. But I think, yeah, every lending product involves risks. You can lose, yes. you can lose more than you've paid off. But I think more access for retail investors, helping retail investors get started. We love to see it in all its way, shapes and forms. So we're excited to see the the evolution of this product and, and what else you do to help retail investors like Bryce and I get started. We are coming towards the end of our time. So I guess this week has been tough. The week that we're recording, it started with, hmm. well, it started with a long weekend, which was nice, but then Tuesday was brutal. Uh, brutal. $88 billion lost, 4% down in the day, worst day since May 2020. I guess, uh, do you have any concluding thoughts for people who have maybe just got started investing and are seeing a lot of red in their portfolio or who were thinking about starting and then maybe are a little bit less likely after the week that we've just seen? Uh, any concluding thoughts for those people listening? So since the ASX as itself became about, which was about 1994, the ASX, the idea, there has been 30 down corrections or bear markets, so downward movements like we're currently experiencing. If you started in 1994 of the ASX to where we are today, including what's gone on this week, you're up about 1,300%. Nice. Time heals all. What I would also say is that these movements are part and parcel, unfortunately, of higher risk investing. The equities have higher risk. Don't forget, you're talking about March 2022, sorry, 2020, 
start of the pandemic, the market fell 29% mm. in its fastest ever decline in history and rebounds. So if you look at that, the market from the bottom to where it went up to the top was up around about 80.5% and we're still up over 60%. Unfortunately, this is the concluding statement. Expect the unexpected in the short term with the idea that longer term, capital growth, total returns will and has been proven time and time again to come home to roost. Time heals all. And if you're investing in equities, you should be entering at a minimum of five years in your thought process, probably more seven. So that's why it is time heals all. Love it. Well, that might be the title of our episode. Yeah, so yeah, <laughs> <laughs> nice one. Thanks, Evan. If you're interested in finding out more about the Fund Later product or what Invest Smart have to offer across the board, head to investsmart.com.au slash fund later. Uh, plenty of uh, not only investment products, but uh, plenty of research, insight and analysis uh, through the team there at Invest Smart as well. So Evan, uh, thank you so much for your time. We very much appreciate it. Love what you guys are doing. And uh, I'm sure this won't be the last time that we'll, uh, we'll be hearing from you uh, here on Get Started Investing and across the Equity Mates Media Network. So thank you very much. Guys, thank you so much for having me. It was fantastic. Thanks, Evan. Get Started Investing is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of Get Started Investing are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find the ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Get Started Investing acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.